Thanks for joining me today for episode 13 of the Northwest Fish Passage podcast. Northwest Fish Passage is a small strategic collaborative partnership of scientists, planners, and engineers. Today, I am virtually here with Austin Rose and Eleanor Hines from Whatcom County Marine Resources Committee. Austin Rose is also a planner at Whatcom County Public Works and Eleanor Hines is a North Sound Baykeeper lead scientist at RE Sources for Sustainable Communities. So thank you both for being here today. Uh, Eleanor, can you tell me a little bit about what the MRC is? Yeah, um, so first of all, thanks for having us here. It's um, wonderful that you invited us to come join your podcast. Um, the Wacom Marine Resources Committee, which um, we oftentimes abbreviate to the MRC, so sorry if I switch back and forth between the two. Um, it, it's one of seven citizen-based community, er, seven based committees, um, which often feel like communities too, um, that are in the Northwest Straits region that address marine issues. Um, the MRC's purpose is to guide local communities using up-to-date information and scientific expertise to achieve the important goals of resource conservation and habitat protection within the Northwest Straits. The mission of the Whatcom Marine Resources Committee um, is revitalizing and preserving Whatcom County marine resources for future generations. Thank you. And I'd love to hear from both of you uh, about how you got involved in the MRC, uh, the Marine Resources Committee, and in the career you currently are in. Yeah. So I got, this is Eleanor, and I got involved um, with the Marine Resources Committee because um, while I don't really specifically uh, believe in astrology, I am a Pisces, and it just seemed like no matter what I did with my life um, in high school and going through college, I just kept on getting pulled back to the water. Um, and so I fully embraced the water because it is so great. I love water, whether, you know, it's fishing, swimming, kayaking, just hanging out at the beach. Um, or even up in the mountains on frozen water. And so um, I more specifically got involved with the Wacom Marine Resources Committee because I was involved with some other um, water quality monitoring projects. And um, it was recommended to approach the MRC to get some advice on that. And then I learned more and more about the MRC and saw that it was an amazing group of um, folks and it, Seem like a great way to get involved to protect our marine resources locally, but also more on the regional scale, working with the other marine resource committees and the Northwest Straits uh, Commission and Foundation. This is Austin speaking now. So hi, thank you so much for having me. There's a bit of a story behind my how I ended up where I am right now. So um, I'll say it started with after my undergrad and I'm from Western Washington University, and I majored in geography natural resource management. And I, um, you know, was this very timid person, but knowing that I wanted to work in the environmental middle field after my studies in geography. And I thankfully ended up with an AmeriCorps position, uh, an independent position uh, housed at the Padilla Bay Estuarian Research Reserve here in Skagit County. At that time, there were three AmeriCorps and we could all rotate with our positions. So I was able to work a little bit in the research sector, 
um, and a little bit in the education and outreach sector. And then I also worked in the facilities sector, which um, managed the, the fish tank and all of the interpretive work that the Padilla Bay Reserve does. And so with that, I got the water quality experience. I got the education and outreach experience. And then, um, and but then that also dovetailed with the facilities experience as well. And so with that, I made a lot of connections and I met a lot of fantastic people and I really fell in love with water quality. Um, and so I ended up volunteering quite a bit outside of my job doing water quality work in Skagit County. And also the other organization that is housed at the Padilla Bay Reserve is the Northwest Straits Initiative. And so I learned about their story and how they came to be. And I absolutely fell in love. And I knew that that's, that's what I wanted to do, that that was my dream job was to work with Northwest Straits. And so I don't know if you've covered the Northwest Straits Initiative story in previous episodes, but I'm happy to dive into it if you want. Yeah, that'd be great. I had Thank Anna you. Toledo from Island County who mentioned it, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more. Okay, sure. So back in the mid 1980s, there was a real decline of marine resources in our region. And so Congress had authorized a study of our area for a potential inclusion into a national marine sanctuary system. And that proposal was met with really strong resistance from locals in this area who were concerned that having their area in a sanctuary, it would be administered in this top-down fashion. And so decisions would be made in Washington, DC without any kind of local input. And so um, Senator Patty Murray and U.S. Representative uh, Jack Metcalf uh, were exploring alternatives to that model for protecting and restoring our region um, and proposed the Northwest Straits Marine Conservation Initiative, which uh, thankfully was authorized by Congress in 1998. And the main goals of that initiative were to mobilize citizen support for marine conservation increase voluntary compliance with conservation policies and to utilize local energy to generate these on the ground projects. So more of a bottom up approach to protecting and restoring our marine environment. And so I luckily, again, I think just because I was um, very persistent and volunteered a lot, I got a position, a brief position with the Northwest Straits Commission, which is the the technical arm of the initiative. Um, and really I, I was just had kind of an administrative role um, with the commission and taking meeting notes and whatnot. And then I landed a, a short position with the Northwest Straits Foundation, which is the nonprofit arm of the initiative. And then I ultimately, after finishing my graduate degree from Western as well, um, I there was a job opening in Whatcom County to staff the Whatcom Marine Resources Committee. And I again, very luckily got the job. So, <laughs> so I'm still in it. I'm still with the Northwest Straits after all these years. That's great. You guys do such amazing things. And I know that you have uh, over 10 different projects that you're working on. And there are a few I uh, wanted to hear more about. And I'll also put a link to your webpage and any other things like Northwest Straits that you think listeners would like to hear. So Austin, can you tell me more about the water quality project that the MRC is doing? Sure. Yeah. So 
Currently, the MRC is involved with one fairly large water quality project in North Chuckanut Bay, which is also known as Mud Bay on the south end of Bellingham. Um, that area is a recreational shellfish harvesting area and it supports many species of clams. So, um, but there have been concerns about bacteria levels, particularly fecal coliform levels in that bay for the past 25 years. And so in the mid nineties, the Washington State Department of Health came in and they conducted a shoreline survey of Chuckanut Bay and the resulting report recommended that the recreational shellfish harvesting area be closed because of water quality and sewage disposal conditions. But the area has always been really, really popular for um, shellfish harvest, despite the health advisory. So, and luckily there hasn't been many cases where people have gotten sick. Um, and a lot of people who, who know where to get the good clams, it's actually outside of the bay. But the MRC in 20, well, I, I should say the MRC, this was prior to my time of being staff, they helped out in doing a lot of freshwater quality sampling around the outskirts of the bay, um, just to begin building a data set of, of, of what the water quality was like and if it was approving and what kind of things could be done in communicating with the community about best management practices for healthy water. And then in 2014, so this was just after I started as staff with the committee, they expanded that project to the marine water. So volunteers are out there taking marine and freshwater samples at the same time. And there's about, let's see, there's 13 sites altogether, six, I think that's right, six marine sites and seven freshwater sites. And so, um, and I as staff go out there quite a bit as well. And this little project is a subset of um, work that's being done countywide. Um, so Whatcom County has a pollution identification correction program, also known as PIC, the Whatcom County PIC program, um, where they're trying to do water quality work countywide. And so, um, but the MRC has really focused on this area of North Chuckanut Bay and has really started to make connections with the community. The Chuckanut Village is a small community there. They're all on septics. So again, just trying to link them to resources about how to maintain their septic system to, to make sure that that's the best venture practice for water quality. And then um, also putting food away to decrease the amount of wildlife that might be around and pooping on the shoreline and adding more fecals into the water. Um, and then also just picking up after their pets. So simply just picking up dog poop when they go for walks around the bay. So. Great, thank you. Yeah. Eleanor, can you tell me a little bit about some of the other programs like the bull kelp, forage fish, and anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, um, so bull kelp monitoring for starters is one of my personal favorites, um, partially because it gets me out in my sea kayak out on the ocean, which I just love um, along the shorelines of Whatcom County, including Cherry Point and um, Lummi Island. And um, it's also a great opportunity for volunteers to get out there who already know how to kayak and have their kayaks um, and make those connections as well. The monitoring started around 2015 under the guidance of the Northwest Straits Commission, who in many ways, as descri Austin described um, before, really tie um, the Puget Sound MRCs together. So um, it was noticed that in South Puget Sound, kelp beds were disappearing. However, there was 
very little data on it. So a lot of it was sort of like, you know, I think there used to be a kelp bed there, but I don't have any data that actually says there was a kelp bed there or how big it was or how long it was there. And so then looking Puget Sound wide, it was, um, <laughs> we recognized that, hey, we don't have a lot of data on kelp in Puget Sound, period. And it'd be really great to collect more data. And so doing these kelp surveys by kayak where we um, kayak around the perimeter with the GPS and take a few other notes on like depth and temperature and some other stuff like that um, has been helpful where we can better understand not just in South Sound but throughout Puget Sound um, what are our kelp beds doing where are they how do they change on an annual basis a little bit more on how they might even change month to month um, during the main kelp growing season and then um, one of the successes, I think, is that um, the data that we collected and just the efforts and in gaining more um, interest in kelp um, led to helping inform the 2020 kelp Washington State um, Kelp Conservation and Recovery Plan, um, which is something that I'm really looking forward to um, seeing how that further develops and how we might be able to continue to collect data that can um, help adaptively manage that plan in the future. Um, it seems like warming uh, temperatures um, really don't do kelp any favors in terms of surviving. And so that's one key factor that um, I know is being looked at along with a bunch of other ones as well. Um, and so I'm certainly looking forward to getting out again um, later this summer with volunteers on the water. It's always a lot of fun to see um, the crabs, the fish, the heron standing on top of the kelp looking for food and the sea lions popping their heads up, checking us out to see what we're doing. Um, so that's usually a lot of fun. Um, another project that I think is also really great is forage fish surveys. Um, these were started a number of years ago. We did not come up with our own protocol. Instead, what we do is we work with the Washington State Department of Fish and Wildlife. They have a set of protocols that they've developed and they also have staff that do their own forage fish surveys but they can only get out to so many beaches at once. And so that's where um, MRCs like the Wacom MRC come in where we can help further that reach that WDFW has. So we go out and we mainly look for surf smelt eggs. And so um, in case you're not familiar with forage fish, they're a key component to the Salish Sea food web, particularly to um, species like salmon and orca that rely on them um, as food or feeding the things that they eat. Um, and so it's really important to better understand forage fish populations. And one of them is just knowing where they're able to spawn and making sure that um, there's healthy spawning events happening. And so we look at beaches to see if, um, first of all, are forage fish spawning there? Second of all, how what species are spawning there? And then in what kind of abundance might they be spawning in and at what time of year might they be spawning? And so having that data helps us better understand things like maybe when like a shoreline project should or shouldn't happen. If forage fish are spawning at that time, maybe they need to do it at a different time then so that they're not doing it at the same time that the forage fish are spawning. Also helping us better understand where they are spawning so that um, we might be able to better develop restoration projects um, that can help encourage 
a healthy, encourage more spawning events in more places. Currently sample once a month at Little Squalcombe Beach and Marine Park, but we do have plans in the near future to start moving on to other beaches because we've collected data for a while at both of those beaches and feel like we're pretty happy with um, the data we've collected and it's time to move on to other beaches so that we can get more information about new spots. Great, thank you. So Austin, what is one of your favorite habitat restoration projects that, you're, that you've worked on at the MRC? I think my favorite is uh, the Olympia Oyster, well, I should say the pilot Olympia Oyster Restoration Project, um, which is also being done in North Chuckanut Bay. So I should back up, so I should stay, say that every year, well, I guess prior to COVID, the MRC holds an annual conference in which all of the MRCs and um, affiliates come together and they could spend a couple days uh, listening to presentations from affiliated researchers and the new science, but they also get to have dinner together and breakfast and lunch together and maybe have a couple of glasses of wine together and the ideas and the collaborations just start flowing. And so quite a few years back, I was at an MRC conference and I was pulled aside by Betsy Peabody from the Puget Sound Restoration Fund. So they're an organization that's housed on Bainbridge Island and they uh, work on restoration of marine habitat and species, particularly Olympia oysters and bulk kelp. And so she nudged me saying, um, North Chuckanut Bay is being looked at as a potential location for Olympia oyster restoration. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's really great. And so I am, um, I, well, they kind of sat for a couple years and then um, I made connections with staff at Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife and we, we got going on it. So that was back in 2016. So we had conversations with Brady Blake with Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. And he was explaining that there were two areas in Whatcom County that were identified for the restoration of native oyster populations. Um, so there was a lot of work that's being done up in Drayton Harbor that really showed promise for expansion. And then they were looking in the Portage Bay area, but then they also were looking at North Chuckanut Bay because it was um, given the habitat conditions in that area and the fact that Olympia oysters used to uh, survive in that area, they thought that was probably the most promising. And so he came out to do some site evaluation and seven test spots were identified at that time for just a pilot to see if, if restoration was going to be feasible in that area. And so um, an actual restoration won't, won't actually happen until um, a number of factors are addressed in terms of whether or not the Olympia oysters will survive again in that area. And they're actually doing some work in Samish Bay as far as a large-scale restoration project. And so we'll see if there's going to be some larvae recruitment from the work in Samish Bay that potentially could leak into North Chuckanut Bay. And we'll see, you know, if they're going to flourish or not. But in the meantime, the MRC monitors those seven test plots. So, so we, I should back up. So we bought seed from the Puget Sound Restoration Fund and we placed it in 2018. And we've been going out every year since just to do a population count to see how the oysters are surviving. And right now we're not seeing a lot of recruitment, but we're also not seeing a lot of death. So if things are, are stable right now, but it's too early to say on whether we can move to a full-blown restoration. But um, with that project, the MRC has been able to make some great connections with 
students from the Bellingham Technical College Fisheries and Aquaculture Program. So we get students out there to work with the MRC volunteers amongst the plots so they get really hands on field experience um, working in aquaculture. And it's just it's the community really likes it too. the Chuckanut Village community, they come out and they watch us and they ask a lot of questions and it's just a very attractive restoration potential restoration project so. Great, thank you. Yeah. So I'd love to hear from both of you about some of your biggest challenges and successes. I'll start with Eleanor. Sure. So um, for biggest challenges, I guess for starters, the our huge challenge that we have is, you know, the Puget Sound area started being settled by Westerners back in like the 1850s. And since then, we've done a lot of great development, but with that has also come a lot of habitat degradation. And so it's been taking place for a long time, so we can't expect it to happen overnight to restore all of our marine resources. It's going to take a long time. And with that challenge also is do we have that time that it takes to get there and I think you know we need to be hopeful and we need to keep trying and um, there's definitely been some signs of successes that you know indicate yes if we do the work we can get there but we need to hurry up on it. Another challenge kind of narrowing down to the smaller scale of more specifically the Waka Marine Resources Committee is that um, being appointed onto the Marine Resources Committee isn't a paid position. And so we're a group of volunteers. And while we have a great group of fun, smart, passionate, diverse folks working on the committee, working with the committee, being volunteers that are otherwise busy with, you know, our everyday lives that come up, um, things that need to be addressed, you know, childcare or family, um, also just taking care of yourself, your work, whatever it might be. It can be a little bit challenging to find the time to do it all. But at the same time, I feel like that's also one of our successes too, because it's really amazing when you take a step back from it, all the work that is done by volunteers through the MRCs. Um, and so I think that that, I mean, going into some of our biggest successes, I think that's definitely one of them. Um, there have been a number of projects over the years. The Wacom Marine Resources Committee was founded in 1999. So we have over 20 years now of work that the um, Marine Resources Committee has done. Austin already mentioned some of them and I mentioned some too um, with our monitoring and restoration projects. But I know that there were a few others out there including like restoration, shoreline restoration project at um, Marine Park doing intertidal monitoring, looking at pre and post shoreline enhancement at Boulevard Park as well as doing remote beach cleanups, getting um, folks out to beaches that they've probably never been to, but also getting out to those remote sites where garbage collects, but no one's out there to pick it up and it just stays there. Um, so getting, you know, marine debris and plastic from those remote beaches is also another huge success. And um, finally, my personal favorite is um, the North Sound Stewards Program that the Wacom Marine Resources Committee has in partnership with resources, where we recognize that we have all of these growing community science projects ongoing. And a lot of the volunteers that, you know, help out with say forage fish might also be interested in helping out, helping to monitor 
Olympia Oyster Restoration. And so um, we started this North Sound Stewards program to kind of tie all of those projects together with the intent that it would be easier to find volunteers um, potentially, but also with the idea of educating our volunteers in multiple realms on different things and making sure that they have those different connections about how to re uh, protect and restore um, the Salish Sea. And so um, one of my favorite success stories is one of our North Sound stewards was trained up on helping out with European green crab monitoring. And she was also trained up to do marine debris monitoring with the coast program. And so uh, she was out doing her marine debris survey and came across a crab molt that looked a lot to her like a European green crab. And so she took lots of photos and sent it in. And so we were able to correctly identify it. Yes, you definitely did find a European green crab there where we were hoping not to find green crabs. And so then Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife since then was able to launch this ongoing effort that we still see today where we actually have the largest concentrations of European green crab in uh, Washington state on our shorelines in Drayton Harbor and um, along the Lummi reservation area as well. And had that volunteer not been trained up in different programs, she would have, we would have probably noticed eventually that European green crab were present in the area, but we were able to notice it a lot earlier because she had been trained up um, in European green crab monitoring as well as marine debris uh, surveys. Thanks. I have a question about the European green crab. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the significance of that particular crab is? Yeah, so European green crabs, as their name might imply with European at the beginning, they are non-native. Um, they are not only non-native, but they are also considered an invasive species. They have completely taken over in places in Maine. Um, if you ever, if as long as you're not like scared of spiders or anything, I suggest you go on YouTube and look up videos of green crab um, along the coastlines of Maine where they knock off a little piece of shoreline and there are just thousands of green crabs scrambling. It looks like a big nest of spiders almost, but it's a big nest of crabs along the shoreline. So they have caused a lot of habitat degradation over there where um, they erode the shoreline. They also compete with native species. They also um, can destroy habitat, not just through erosion, but um, like eelgrass beds, for example, um, might get destroyed. And so in Washington state, we've been looking out for green crabs since I think 1999. And um, with the idea that like they're probably coming as they've made their way to the West Coast in the San Francisco area and have slowly seemed to make their way up here. And so it, wasn't until recently that we actually found them in meaningful numbers, but now that they're in such meaningful numbers, um, not only in Whatcom County, but in other areas too on the outer coast of Washington, as well as other places throughout the Salish Sea, we're trying to figure out better ways on how to deal with them. It's hard to get rid of one species once they've been introduced. Um, we're also trying to figure out what impacts they might actually have on our local species. There's a lot of speculation out there, but um, luckily we haven't gotten to the point yet where 
we've been able to measure those impacts. But um, European green crabs, um, they typically are green, um, but we also have some native species that are also green, like shore, some shore crabs can also appear green. Um, so if you, one telltale factor of whether or not it's a green, European green crab or not is that it has five bumps between on either side between its claw and its eyeball. And so if there's five like teeth there, um, then you likely have a green crab. And my suggestion is that you snap a photo with something to scale, and then you can um, go on the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife site for their invasive species site, um, or you can go to Washington Sea Grants um, European Green Crab site. And um, there are different ways that you can report it there and then they'll follow up on it. Great, thank you. So Austin, can you tell me about some of your biggest challenges and successes? I think Eleanor hit it on the head um, and that we are, it, the MRC is a group of volunteers. And so I love working for volunteers. I love the whole bottom-up approach, but for sure there is a diversity of uh, opinions at the table, the table and a diversity of capacity at the table. And so I keep trying to remind myself of that story of the Northwest Straits Initiative and how, okay, the community, they're, they're taking the lead here. This, these answers or the you know, actions towards uh, marine restoration and conservation, it's out of the Fed's hands, right? And, and the locals are making their own decisions and prioritizing which projects they wanna take on. But with that, again, the capacity is an issue and that these are just volunteers who work full-time elsewhere and they do this when they can. And so, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to get, to get uh, everybody on the table at once and, and to get that energy flowing sometimes. But. And then what about a success? Um, a success from that, I, like I said, I mean, it's out of the Fed's hands, right? It's the yeah. locals, locals making the decisions and locals making the priorities. So I think that's a huge success. And also the MRC, the, a lot of their work is done in collaboration with other uh, organizations and, and agencies in the area. And so the collaborations that have been made have been amazing um, with schools or with you know, organizations like Resources with the North Sound Stewards Program um, and really cultivating this whole um, group of citizen science is, it's been awesome. So that, I think that that is a huge success right there. So what are you most hopeful about in upcoming years? Money, more money to the MRC. <laughs> Because I, I, I will say that is a challenge for, for the group of volunteers is that they have a hard time really thinking big about projects because they're, they're limited with grant funding. And so, the, you know, they, it's hard for them to think outside the box of that, you know, where if they did kind of get into the nitty gritty about, yeah, we want to get this restoration project done to fix the issue, that, you know, we'll find the funding for it. So uh, eventually, you know, so. What I'm really hopeful for in the upcoming years is that um, when I first joined the Wacom MRC, we had um, sort of, it felt like the usual suspects, the same people um, who had been involved for a long time. And they're all wonderful, great people, don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, in the last two years or so, several MRC members have 
uh, termed out. So they kind of, they reached that limit of how long you can serve consecutive terms on the MRC. And so we were nervous about who was going to be able to fulfill these roles. And what I found really helpful is that there were plenty of people out there that were excited to get involved and that have joined the MRC and um, have brought these new and different perspectives to the MRC. And some are bringing up new and different projects that we could be doing, which I think is really great. I'm really looking forward to continuing a lot of the work that we've already done, but also seeing what else we might be able to fold into that mix of stuff. Um, and then also things like um, the kelp recovery plan that I mentioned earlier, where you know our data is actually helping to influence these statewide plans. And then we continue to collect the data that can help us figure out how can we improve those plans in the future and um, make it better so that we can better protect our marine resources. Austin, can you tell me what you think of some advice to young professionals? Sure, yeah. Um, in terms of getting involved in the environmental field, yeah. I would say volunteer as much as you can. Join an MRC, volunteer with an MRC. Um, it really helps you make connections with those in the profession that you hope to start your career in. And it and it also gives you a connection to your community. So you learn more about what are the environmental issues that are seen as a priority in your area. Um, what do your community members really deeply care about? And you learn about the ways in which scientists and agencies are working to protect and restore those pieces of the environment. Eleanor, do you wanna add anything to that? I think what Austin said was great. I think whenever possible, getting out there and exploring what you're interested in, because you never know where you might end up or you might find out that there's some things you thought you're really passionate about, but the work that it entails is actually not something that you're super excited to do for maybe the rest of your life, but maybe you find other things that you didn't realize um, were your passion. I would also say don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's also great to have goals in mind, but um, being flexible, I know at least for me, has been super important because that allowed me to take unexpected opportunities that arose. And if I was focused on, no, I'm going from point A to point B and can't deviate from there, then I might not have been able to get to the point where I am today. And then as Austin said, you know, whenever possible, getting involved with either volunteering, internships, or other ways of just getting involved with your community, um, it'll really help you figure out what's out there, who's out there, and um, ways that you can get involved and help you maybe get a foot in the door or better understand um, what might be a good fit for you in your career in the future. I'd love to also hear from you both about any ideas that you have for attract, specifically attracting more diverse people to pursue careers in the environment? Yeah, so the, so the Walk of Mercy has really talked a lot uh, since I've been staff um, about making a more concerted, concerted effort at supporting local school science programs that may help meet surveying, monitoring, or restoration or outreach objectives that the MRC has. So I mentioned previously how um, with the Olympia Oyster Project, the, the MRC, needs, MRC has made great connections with the BTC, Bellingham Technical College. The MRC has also collaborated with uh, Western Washington University Marine Conservation Class, which was taught by Dr. Brooke Love. 
and just getting those students some real world experiences, which I know that when I was a student, I certainly needed. And then it would complement their classroom educational curricula, but then also complement the work of the MRC. So um, this is, you know, another avenue where the MRC would be building their community partnerships and, and then also expanding the awareness of what the MRC is and what kind of work they do and what their goals and activities are. So, um, and then most recently the MRC's, you know, really talked about you know, not only working with universities or technical college, but, you know, hitting high school and even grade school level and working with science programs at that level to see, you know, where, where we could go with that. So. I would add more broadly to that. I think that that's all important and that's um, what the MRC has been trying to work on. But um, I think I really appreciate this question because diversity is so important. Looking back at the history of science, I think that there have been so many missed opportunities. A lot of them we probably don't even know about. It's, I think, in terms of creating more diversity, I think it's really important to come up with some kind of concrete plan. If you're, you know, a group like the MRC or you work for an environmental nonprofit or an agency or university, whatever it might be, coming up with a concrete plan on how you're going to get there, not just saying that this is something we want, um, especially because it you say you want it, it's something that's trendy right now. And so you actually have to mean it in order for it to um, come through. And then also being flexible and adapting that plan as time goes on, because it's not enough to just say, hey, we tried to reach out to more diverse groups and no one responded. Therefore, no one's interested. No, that is not the correct way to respond to that. Figure out what you could be doing differently and go out and try to reach those people where they're at. I would also add in too that the diversity goes beyond just attracting more diverse groups. It's also retaining those more diverse mm -hmm. groups. And so, um, you know, no one wants to work twice as hard or work in an environment that isn't welcoming to them or work in a place that just they feel like they'll never fit in. And so making sure that, you know, you go beyond the just attracting um, a more diverse group, but also making sure that you have a more inclusive um, community, environment, work culture, whatever it might be. Um, and then additionally, I would also add that we need to elevate the diversity that already exists in the environmental science and ecology field. There's a lot of truth in people thinking that something just isn't for them if they don't see someone that looks like them doing it. And so there are plenty of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color and LGBTQT um, scientists out there and we need to elevate them and tell their stories. And I know the MRC has a speaker series and we've been trying to figure out better ways um, to incorporate that into some of our speakers that we invite to come. Thank you so much. Yeah, you should definitely listen to one of my other podcasts and talk to Marissa Litz over at WDFW. She's really amazing. So is there anything else you'd like to add about the MRC or your experience? I would say um, 
something that I would add is that you can get involved with the Whatcom MRC. You can go check out our website, whatcomcountymrc.org to find out more information. Um, I think that there might be a link somewhere associated with this podcast too, where you mm-hmm. can also check out that website. Um, we have monthly meetings the first Thursday of every month from 5 to 7 p.m. Um, those details are available on our website. They are currently by Zoom. And at some point, whenever we can meet back in person, they are at 322 North Commercial Street in the Garden Level Conference Room. You can also become a community scientist um, by signing up to join the North Sound Stewards Program. Also, more details available on our website. And if you're not in Whatcom County, I urge you to check out the other six Puget Sound MRCs, the Northwest States Commission, the Northwest States Foundation, or the five coastal MRCs, um, or just check out whatever local groups in your area are working to protect, restore, and enhance marine resources. Thank you both so much for taking time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I would like to end by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the Salish Sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. Please tell a friend and write a review. Have a great day.